Merry Christmas, everyone. To keep you sharp over the holidays, we thought we'd put together a collection of our most popular videos, and this one is all about injection techniques. Enjoy. When I first started, I was just like everyone else. I want to know where to place the five injections so I can do the same on everyone and they'll all get the same lovely result. <laughs> Just tell me. <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately, you soon discover that there might be an average face that you can actually get a, get away with. Like if you if you treat only average faces, you there is actually a universal formula. But unfortunately, your formula will completely fall apart as soon as you meet someone who's, who's just a little bit either side of average, which is more than 50% of people probably. Yeah. I've got the patient in front of me. Um, I'm in the process of making the decision about where I put them. What can you recommend that I can physically do to this person to help me make that decision and lay out the patterns? Well, you need to, first of all, it's all about, starts with the history. What does the patient actually want? Everything we, we always say, the real transformation is a psychological transformation for the patient. So that means what is their story? What do they want you to achieve? Now, um, with that will come something like, uh, oh, I feel tired all the time. Uh, even though I'm not tired, I look tired, then you're obviously more likely to need an eyebrow lift. So an eyebrow lift is immediately changing your, inj your injection strategy from removing lines and wrinkles. Um, now, obviously, too much of an eyebrow lift might cause lines that make them unhappy. Um, so you're, you're imme immediately in this whole world of nuance, right? as opposed to, here's my standard injection pattern. So how would you go about marking up? So marking up is a process of combining the history and examination. You want to be um, remembering what they've told you about what they actually want and then applying that to the anatomy in front of you. So I would like an eyebrow lift. You then start out by marking out the risky areas. So where do you not want to inject for all the areas? We want to leave, for example, one, to, one and a half to two centimeters from the orbital rim. Um, and then you want to mark out the areas that might cause a brow ptosis. So there's a central component of your forehead that might cause a drop if you're injecting it. Um, there's the more lateral component. If you want an eyebrow lift, you need to leave the lateral muscle untreated. So we're first deciding where we don't want to inject. Then we're relating that to the history, the actual result the patient wants, and you're trying to design a treatment that will relax exactly the right amount of muscle to get the treatment that you want with minimal risk and leaving room for a potential follow-up. There's a great book, which I've forgotten the name of, which talks about how you should start every action with being really clear on the outcome that you want. And for a good injection technique, there's, a, there's an aesthetic result and there's a minimization of complications. And it's those two things that then flow on to, to help you design the rest of your technique. So you know what the aesthetic difference is. So it might be, for example, I want definition on the vermilion border. And you then know the complication risk you don't want to have, which is I don't want unnecessary bruising and I don't want to occlude the superior, vas the superior labial artery. Uh, and if those are your two, your two driving forces, you might also throw in there, I don't want to cause unnecessary discomfort to the patient. So there might be three things that you have to then um, respect while you try and get the aesthetic result. And your position of the filler when you pulled your needle out should be primarily achieving that aesthetic result. So you need to know a little bit about the three dimensions of the structure you're injecting. No, not a little bit, a lot in order to design a technique that balances all these things. And that's the key thing. It's a balancing force. You can't go too much into the aesthetic and you can't be too safe or you don't actually do any work. So it's, it's, a, it's a continuous process of balancing these forces, which is why it's endlessly 
tricky basically you have to think about it very heavily and carefully or copy someone's technique who's done that for you if you picture for example injecting a nasolabial fold um when people first start they do not see a big difference between i mean i don't know how well you can see it on camera but if i'm if i'm going straight down right near the ala base versus an angle that's at 90 degrees to the nose towards the ala base versus one that's uh, maybe slightly angled up they all look the same to the novice injector Whereas for me, that injection looks really dangerous because it's going, it's angled up towards what I know is underneath here is the infraorbital artery. And it's a little bit closer to also where the facial artery becomes the angular artery. So there are two big risk factors for that angle that are different to that angle. Now that only comes from before each injection, getting the anatomy straight in your head and knowing the main things you don't want to hit. What else would you do when you are getting ready to inject? So you said that you're already thinking about the mental model of the anatomy and, and thinking about how we can minimize risk. What else do you do? Okay, so one, once you've you've got the mental model of the anatomy clear in your head, and that doesn't just mean the two dimensions, because that's where most injectors start. You start out with the picture from the textbook. The next thing is you've got to know the depth. So where is this artery I'm trying to avoid? Um, mostly if it's coming out of a foramen, it's on the bone. Um, otherwise, they tend to be um, in the middle layer, in the fatty layer is most common with some exceptions. Um, so that's the next thing to know, your depth. So you've got the two-dimensional and the three-dimensional position. Um, and then you need to start thinking about your technique. Now, you, you design your technique first in your head, which is I want to go in at this angle because I think over time that's more likely to keep me further away from the artery at this depth. Um, and the next thing is going to be about how do you actually deliver that accurately? Because there's no good knowing uh, that you want to park in a particular parking spot if you if you're basically cack-handed and you don't know, you don't know the car at all. You're gonna it's the idea is only half of it. How are you going to execute this plan? And and that comes from uh, it actually starts with your feet. Often I see injectors battling with a new technique. They've often been injecting for years, but then they're taught a new technique, and it throws them off balance from their feet. So you've got to start by being in a position where your, your feet are stable. You should be rooted to the ground. That that or Half the time, that makes people look more comfortable immediately. It's it's that kind of slanted on one angle or with most of your weight on, uh, through one side of your body that makes everything look unstable. Um, and then you're trying to stabilize things in as many ways as possible. So feet are stable. I often will stabilize my pelvis against the bed. Um, I'll then maybe lean my elbow against some other part of the bed or the patient's shoulder. It's quite good. And, and ultimately, the the best amount, the most control you have is when only you, you're only having to worry about your fingers and maybe your wrist, but you're not trying to control your whole arm. Now you can get, so sometimes I will inject just using my arm, but I'm usually tightening it up against my body so that this is stable. I'm, I'm basically trying to shrink the amount of processing and stabilization I need to, to just my the parts of my body that are much more finely coordinated. And that will give you the ultimate control. So now you've got a clear mental model of where you're trying to go. And then you're actually trying to, you're stabilized so that you've got that control. And then the next step is to do it like relatively decisively, but slowly. So um, I d sometimes people, when they're nervous, they, they, they do this too quickly because they're, they, want, they don't want to make the group weights and stuff like that. So the first thing I would say is just do this really slowly and, and then break it into components. So often there's each injection technique has several stages if you think about it because you, you might go through the dermis and then change angle and then slide in all the way through there. Then you do your aspiration. Um, then you check the patient's comfortable. Then you do a small injection, watch their response. Then you do the rest of it. But it's mm -hmm. those, the stages are also one of the key things um, once, you, once you're ready to inject.
my introduction to this paper was, I think, about four or five different clinicians inboxing me, essentially worrying that what they've been doing was wrong the whole time, which is not a new phenomenon. I'll, I'll be honest, I've, I've mentored now multiple clinicians from zero all the way up to real mastery level. And, and this is a stage of your development where you've taken the thing that you've learned from your main trainer and then you go out into the wild and you start to absorb ideas somewhere else. And sometimes the first reaction people have is, my career is built on a lie. <laughs> and <laughs> it's effectively because you think you've got the perfect situation, the perfect description of how to inject. And actually, there are many, many different ways of thinking about all these injections. And the first time you're something that you are fundamental about gets shattered, it's, it's a little bit disconcerting. And I think a lot of injectors when, especially something as simple as a glabella treatment, you know, you may be doing for five years and suddenly there's this new idea, it can make you feel like you've been doing it wrong. Uh, and that's worth thinking about because actually it's, it's thankfully not that that you need to worry about. So what's the gist of this paper? So the idea in this paper is that instead of using the more common patterns like you can maybe just see behind me now, which is a, a five injection point or a seven injection point in the glabella, which is definitely the norm. That's the most common pattern that I see everywhere. And it's fundamentally because that's how, what the licensed dose is, that you may be able to get a similar result with fewer side effects using a modified technique. And so the, the modification that's been made is instead of using five injection points, we'll use three and try and inject near the origin of the muscle. So instead of chasing the muscle all the way along its length, we can focus more on just as, it, as it's emerged, at least maybe the, the bottom third of where it is relative to the origin. And then you may, you may be able to get the same result with fewer side effects. So deeper, is that what you mean? Well, it's, it's similar to what you would normally do, but there are essentially two injection points taken off the corrugator. So the, the biggest difference is that you're not injecting the lateral part of the corrugator muscle. People are really scared of eyelidosis. So I've learned this from injectors, thousands that I've trained, is that they will start to, in order to make themselves a bit safer than their trainer told them, they actually move slightly further away from the eye. So this is a, a common rookie mistake, which is, is in your attempt to make things safer, you make things worse. Because if you move a little bit superior from the corrugator muscle and away from the, from the eyebrow, um, you eventually move into the frontalis muscle. And if you inject that, obviously you're going to get a brow drop. And that's actually quite common in the first few months of people out there injecting, which is they remember most things and they just add a little bit of safety and make everything worse. So why this topic? Well, there's an interesting backstory, which happened a couple of weeks ago when Dr. Harris messaged me about one of the videos which I released a long time ago, where I state that I believe a vertical injection might be less likely to cause a VO than a horizontal injection. Now, Dr. Harris disagrees with this perspective and he sent me some an interesting paper to back up that point of view. Then I surveyed my audience and found that the audience is actually split as well. It's actually slightly in the favor of it being more risky to do a vertical injection, 55% to 45% on my Instagram stories. And then Facebook, interestingly, was 51, 49%. So I think that shows a lack of consensus. So there's a bit of confusion in the sector about this. And I thought, what can I do to help here? Because the real thing that's going on here is it's the mental model of both the injection and the anatomy that we need to make clear. So where is the likely position of the superior labial artery. Now the artery usually runs above or within the vermilion border. The papers that I've reviewed have described it routinely in the vermilion border or slightly above. It's usually also beneath orbicularis oris, 
sometimes within orbicularosaurus and occasionally on top of orbicularosaurus. So look now at this cross-section of a lip. This is the most important bit of anatomy that you will see. This is a histological specimen cut directly long ways across the lip and you can see where the artery tends to lie. We have the muscle that runs down the middle of the lip, anterior to that a little bit of hypodermic fat and then the dermis and on the other side you have underneath the, mu the muscle is where the artery usually is. As we've said it's not always at that exact point but it's usually just inferior to orbicularosaurus. Now if you picture where your injection is it's on that anterior surface in most cases whether you're horizontal or vertical it's, it's in, it should be on the anterior aspect of the lip. So when I picture a vertical injection this is the vision in my head. We're entering the pink lip we're skirting superficially. It is a superficial injection. We're avoiding the deeper part of the lip envelope because we're trying to rotate the lip up slightly for most of those injections. And we're progressively moving away from the most likely position of the artery. If you consider the most likely position is just behind orbicularis oris, we would start out parallel with it and the needle as it goes deeper in should be moving slightly further away. Now, horizontal injections are the same but we'd be running right over and adjacent to the artery. And we'd be staying in that plane the entire journey of the needle. So there's more time spent close to the needle. And if you're superficial, you should still be away from it, but it's technically more likely with an anomalous type of anatomy to clip a little loop of that artery. That, that's, what I, that's what I'm picturing in my mind. Now, with, this is the issue with normal variation in a young client, I cannot see how a horizontal injection would be less likely to catch the artery than a vertical injection because most of the time we'd be away from it. If instead of avoiding cannulating the artery, we were to actually purposely try and cannulate the artery, how would you do it? I know how I would do it. I would enter parallel with the artery because we know the artery runs from lateral to medial. It's coming off the facial artery across the top of the lip. That's the angle my needle would enter. And then I would also be deep underneath orbicularis oris and I would poke around parallel to the artery until I got a flashback. And I, I think you'd eventually get it if you did it that way. I don't think it would make any sense to enter vertically because that would decrease the chance that you're going to get the needle into the, into the actual lumen. And this is certainly how I understand it at the moment. There would still be a chance that you could do it, but it doesn't make sense to me that it would be higher than being parallel with it. So the pre-orbicularis oculi fat pad is the inferior border and um, you have obviously the muscle just above just medial to that the most medial part of the space is the depressor nasi muscle so this muscle is just the one that pulls your nose down and um, laterally you have the deep medial fat pad and then the muscles that pass over it so the, these are important because just above the muscles is also the fat pad and this is where the artery runs just over the surf over the roof of the um, of the space so the depths are really important. The three-dimensional anatomy is really important. And I was going to show that to you on this little model here today. Okay, so this the piriform fossa, which lies next to the piriform aperture, gets its name from this aperture. So right next to the aperture. Uh, by the way, piriform means pear-shaped. So all it means is it's the shape of the pear. And of course, uh, we like to think of fancy names. Whoops, I've knocked off the depressor septi. And the little fossa, the little indentation next to the piriform aperture is the area that has a potential space. This means you can, you can inflate it. In, um, some experiments have been done where they put air and also filler into it, and it tends to fill this space. Um, it's a discrete uh, space with several different boundaries that hold it. So importantly, inferiorly, you've got the orbicularis oculi fat pad underneath it, the poof, as we talked about. Um, then medially, you've got the depressor 
septite as one of the boundaries. So that's fallen off this model. I'm going to stick it back on. That's the medial boundary. And then over the roof of this potential space is where the fat pad is and the and the artery. So it's very important. You can see by this structure here, the facial artery, and it becomes the angular artery, runs over this space. So as we as we roll back the fat pad, you can see where the space is. Um, and this is really where we should be injecting um, over here. But the point that's also really worth understanding is if I remove this structure, which represents the piriform fossa, you can see in the superior lateral aspect of it, there are probably a few strands near the bone of the infraorbital artery. So these are the two arteries that can be injured when you're injecting here. You have with this laid on top, you have the facial artery where it becomes the angular artery and then underneath it more superiorly and laterally, you are very close to the infraorbital artery. And those are the important areas to understand because obviously injury is our primary thing not to avoid. You also have the nerves that supply the top of the lip. So you will often find patients find this a little bit uncomfortable if you just touch the, the nerve here, but that is a safer way of injecting in many ways um, than injecting more superficially, which we're gonna discuss in some detail. So that's the key anatomy. Um, and that's the place where we're attempting to fill. My experience with injecting the piriform fossa is you it is much more effective. It feels more stable to me. I think it lasts a bit longer um, you, using a deep injection onto the periosteum. The other approach that I might use might be with a cannula, um, but my experience is it seems to be less effective and it is lying usually a little bit more superficial um, in the fat rather than on the periosteum when you use a cannula, um, and that just has a couple of downsides to it in terms of tissue integration and stability, uh, in my experience. So um, for those reasons, I probably use the needle on the bone technique a little bit more um, than cannula. It depends what else I'm doing on the face. It's, it's often appropriate in different people and in more, uh, more holistic treatments to use the cannula as well, um, but that's the one I currently use the most. The way that I was taught many years ago was basically to inject just underneath the dermis. And this has definitely gone out of, out of fashion. And it's basically because you have the infraalar artery, a branch of the facial artery um, that comes up just under the nose. It's pretty vulnerable if you're at the wrong level here. And similarly, the facial artery itself is a bit more vulnerable when you're at intermediate depths. So for most injectors, there's one thing you do get by going deep is when you touch the bone, you know exactly what level you're at. There's no doubt. Um, and there are some pros and cons with, with this, this injection technique, but one of the good things is you should know where you are, at least in terms of depth, with absolute certainty. Um, whereas new injectors, I find they are two or three millimeters out very easy because their resolution, you haven't thought about these things for a long time, for in, in as much detail. It looks pretty similar to the untrained eye being three millimeters deeper. Um, and there are ways to check for that with a depth check that we train people to do. Um, but it's really important that you know the depth. And that's why touching the periosteum is one thing that gives you some certainty. I hope you enjoyed that. See you again in the new year for some fresh content. Mm -hmm.